So I have really good news, Liz. Yes. What is it? We have more than five listeners. Are you sure? I'm not 100% sure because I still haven't (laughs) been able to figure out how to access the statistics on our podcast feed, but we got like 70 likes on our Facebook page. Yeah. And lots of good feedback. No one complained about my Minnesota accent. That is nice. I'm happy about, considering how many times I said the word boat in our last episode, (laughs) it could have been bad. I have never noticed you having an accent on the word boat. Well, I'm conscious of it. And since I knew I was going to be saying the word boat a lot our last episode, I made sure to not sound like, ooh, and then Bessie Hyde got into the boat, don't you know? (laughs) Because it could have sounded like that. I'll say right now, just so no one has to comment on it, I do not pronounce T's in the middle of words. I'm from (laughs) Chicago. Yeah, it's like button. (laughs) Everything becomes a D. So don't even bother pointing that out to me. We already know. We already know. We already know. So thank you so much. Well, we got amazing feedback on our last episode. (laughs) I'm honestly shocked. So am I, including another Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Yes. That we didn't even knew. This is how naive we were. We had no idea that there were other Unsolved Mysteries podcasts. Turns out there is. And some of them are really good. Yeah, we thought we were geniuses. And then no one else would ever, ever have this idea. Of course. Turns out someone did. And they're doing a really good job. Yeah. Mike and Josh, I think, are their yeah. names. for the Shout out to Mike and Josh at Exposing. No, it's Uncovering Unexplained oh, yeah, Mysteries. You're right. Sorry, Mike and Josh. And I've seen their podcast before, but I didn't know that it was about Unsolved Mysteries. And turns out it is. And they do a great job. And they're super super nice guys. Yeah. Thank you for being so encouraging and not saying what the hell we already have an Unsolved Mysteries (laughs) podcast. They're super nice. We were, so we discovered that there were other Unsolved Mysteries podcasts right before we posted our first episode. And we were kind of nervous about how it would be received considering, you know, we listened. We were like, they're real good. But then they took the time to listen and leave us really sweet comments. So it was cool. Thank you very much. I feel like it's the encouragement moment that we needed. And we're, here we are already recording another episode, which I did not think we were going to be doing right away. Not think was going to happen, considering we were like, well, maybe we have to just throw this in the garbage. <laughs> so yeah, we got really great feedback. Thank you so much to people who are tuning in again. Tell your friends. We're on iTunes and Google Play now. It's super duper official. So you can listen to us we're on not, those platforms. We're not actually the number one podcast in iTunes. I lied about yeah. that. I'm not quite sure why I claim to we only had five listeners and also that we were the number one podcast <laughs> in iTunes. It seems contradictory. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. For sure. It's almost like I we don't know what we're doing. It's possible. It's almost like we don't know what we're doing. So I have some updates. Yeah, can we, us, Should we start with some updates? Let's start with some well, updates to our last episode, the very first episode. So first of all, in creeping on the podcast that Mike and Josh do, I discovered that the reason these episodes are sort of pieced together is because they can't legally air some of them. Did you know about this? No. So I guess if the statute of limitations has expired on some of these cases, they can't legally air the episode again. Oh. Based on some comments I saw, that's why. So I think that's why these are sort of retooled and re-edited for the Amazon versions. No, that kind of makes sense. I have a, along those lines, I think I understand now why there is a September update in the very first episode. Ooh, tell us. So before Unsolved Mysteries was a regular TV show, there was a couple of TV specials. Oh. And Robert Stack didn't even host all of them. Oh. Yeah, Raymond Burr hosted some of them. Oh, okay. And someone named Carl. (laughs) So maybe that's what the update was So from. I assume the update is actually from one of those specials, or for some reason they left in the update from something they couldn't air again. 
But probably it was from one of the specials, and then the specials did well enough that they ended up having the, the TV show that we know and TV love. show. Yes. Okay, good to know. We're learning something new every day. Probably should have looked up a little bit more information <laughs> before we about- started throwing these claims around. <laughs> Whatever, I guess. You know. <laughs> it's not- we thought that our love was enough. So we also had a comment from Rochelle that um, we had a question from one of the cases about using deer tranquilizer while crossbow hunting. Did you find an answer to this? I didn't really look it up, but <laughs> she said that that might be like an 80s broy throwback to the deer hunter. And oh. I, I haven't seen the deer hunter. Neither have I, so I don't know this reference. I don't know if that's true, but that, that was... That might explain. That might explain it. Perhaps. Well, Let's just say that it did. Along those same lines, Travis, my fiance, who's a mechanic, said that when you're arsoning a car... Don't ask me how he knows this besides the fact that he just knows about cars. You take the fuel cap off because you put a fuel-soaked rag in there, and I guess you light that on fire, and that's what starts the car on fire. And then you were like, I have no follow-up questions. I don't want to know what happened before we met. Those are some quality updates. And that's pretty much all I have. Should we get started on our mysteries, unless you have something else? We are aware that our first episode was in stereo. Right. Where, like, if you have <laughs> headphones on, one of us is one in one ear, one of us is in the other, and it kind of sounds like you're sitting in between us while yeah, we shout about unsolved it's mysteries. It's like you're trapped in a car between the two of us, and we won't stop talking about unsolved <laughs> mysteries. Uh, Hopefully that's fixed now. We have a new setup. We're no longer yes. at the library recording this. So Yeah, shout out to the Brooklyn Park Library. For having a free recording studio, which is awesome. And we'd totally use more, except that it's so popular that it's, it's hard, hard to get, get in, in there. Which yeah. is why we didn't mention it in the first episode, because we didn't want you to book it. <laughs> but now we're in a different, top secret, undisclosed location. So it's this podcast is a work in progress, but I think we're getting the hang of it after just one and a half episodes. I mean, so. the fact that no one said I cannot stand Liz's horrible, shrill voice. Uh, I think the Unsolved Mysteries fan community, just based on what I've seen in the last week, is really awesome. Yeah. Which gives me a lot of encouragement to keep going. Absolutely. So let's do episode two. I Is this... Is this your favorite episode? I think this is How my- high up in the list is it? No, this this is what it's all about. The whole reason we're here is really because of this episode. Samantha told me that I needed to see it, and that's why I started re-watching as an adult Unsolved Mysteries, because Samantha was like, you are not going to believe <laughs> this This is the this one I episode. send people to. Yes. Good. I was like texting her as I was watching <laughs> it, like holy shit, this is amazing. Like yeah. this is how I'm spending the whole summer watching Unsolved Mysteries, and I don't want to talk about anything else. Which is how, what led us to this da, 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 podcast. Da, here we are. Um, so Liz has the first one this week. I Take it away. First mystery. So this goes back to 1985. It involves a teenage girl named Missy Mundy. Um, she was 15 years old when she met a kind of shady character named... Kind of shady? Okay, extremely horrible. <laughs> he was shady as fuck. Not only was he shady as fuck, it turns out that he was also a rapist he had yep. raped his sister-in-law and nearly murdered her. He slit her throat, didn't he? Yes, she uh, didn't die, but she very Thank well God. could have. Yep. So um, he's awful in every regard. Um, and he came to town saying that he was looking for property to convert into an orphanage. Seems legit. <laughs> this is the thing. I don't know if you've ever known a pathological liar, but the lies are so complicated. Like he could have just said... I'm looking for property or I'm planning to build a house. Right, he didn't have to say to build an orphanage. To build an orphanage because obviously if someone is trying to prove to you that they're a super good person and they're super trustworthy, no, 
suspicious. And of course, Missy's mom immediately was like, this guy is trouble. I don't like his arrogant attitude. Missy's mom had it figured out from the beginning. She knew. However, Missy being 15 was super impressionable. He gave her lots of gifts. He gave her lots of attention. And eventually, Missy claimed to be going to school in April of 86, but she actually ran away with Jerry the reenactment for this part was super slick. How she like walked around the bus and then the yes. bus pulled away and turns it's out she like, was getting dun, into dun, his dun. car. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, uh, that was that was some quality reenacting. So her mom never sees her again. She runs off with Jerry. I think she's still 15 or 16 at this point. Yeah. They go off to Springfield, Michigan. She ends up pregnant and having his child. They're living in poverty. She doesn't have enough money for the baby. Obviously, Jerry is a huge jerk. I don't want to be... The, the mugshot of him is <laughs> hilarious. It and is. it really... He would get MVM for this episode if he wasn't a dirtbag. Yeah. Because no, his mustache is quality. It's... A little bit hard for me to understand what Missy saw in Jerry. A little bit. She was 15 she and was impressionable. 15. I don't want to He gave her, her a ring from a vending machine. God damn. Being 15, man. Anyway. So she starts working at a gas station as the assistant manager where she meets a courier named Elmer. Now. It seems like a jolly fellow. I know. This part of the story is sad. Um, back in the day... Gas stations had a ton of cash. Basically, everybody paid by cash. And that's part of the reason they were getting robbed all the damn time. They were staffed by teenagers. They were in the possibly in the middle of nowhere. I think this one was. Remote location. They're open late at night, and you had a lot of cash on hand. So Elmer's job was to go from gas station to gas station and collect all of the cash. So Missy befriends him, gets to know him, and through her, Jerry finds out about him and him having all of this cash. So in May 11th of 1987, Jerry comes to the gas station to rob it while Elmer is there. And he, at first, is acting like Missy is also a victim. Um, The authorities seem to think they were handcuffed together. And Jerry steals... $10,000. What ends up happening is they take Elmer out into the woods or somewhere and he's shot twice in the back of the head. Completely unnecessary. Right. Totally unnecessary. There's no reason to shoot him. They had the money. I I guess he could have identified them. Maybe, but it didn't sound like Elmer knew Jerry. No. And they were pretending that Missy was also a part of this. So Jerry could have just taken the money and left them and Missy could have met up with him later. Killing Elmer was unnecessary. It was completely unnecessary. It's not his money. I don't know that he really would have cared that they stole it. Right. right? Like he could have. Yeah. Jerry is just an absolute garbage human being. So they aired this episode that they were wanted and within... Seven hours. The power of unsolved <laughs> mysteries. They were arrested within seven hours of this airing. Because 20 people called in and were but like, Jerry? Yeah, we like, know where uh, he is. I hate Jerry and he lives down the block. Apparently, they were at their friend's house. They were they watched and they just waited for the police yeah. to come and get them. Even Jerry knew that ever, all of his neighbors hated him. And Which, he was getting turned in. So this is not a mystery at all because unsolved mysteries solved it. Right, it's not a mystery anymore. Anymore. What ended up happening is Jerry got two life sentences 
for kidnapping, armed robbery, and murder. That's right. And then Missy pled uh, in exchange, is that the term? Yeah. In exchange for testifying against Jerry. Um, so she served, I think, like nine months or seven months in a juvenile facility. Yep. And then was released. There was a lot of talk in the episode about how Missy was just as guilty as Jerry. Yeah, even her mom was pretty accusatory. Missy was 15, and this guy was clearly a sleazeball who had manipulated women in the past. I had a hard time with their condemnation of Missy. I mean, certainly she knew right from wrong, but 15, he had raped and tried to kill women in the past. I don't know. It's... She's a minor. Yeah. I don't understand why they were just allowed to live together. I, I guess that the age of consent does vary by state. And well, and they ran off together. I don't think anyone knew where they were. I they guess. were in the middle of nowhere. I just see Missy as, I yeah. mean, certain, certainly she's culpable in to some extent, but I think she's also a victim of Jerry. Absolutely. And I don't see, there at least wasn't to me presented in the episode any evidence that she knew that Elmer would be murdered. So, yes, that is felony murder if she knew that the crime was going to be committed and then he ended up dead. But she's 15. She had a baby, which is something, you know, Jerry could threaten her with. It's not like she could just run away. She was probably scared. I'm making a lot of assumptions, but she was so young. I don't know. I had yeah. a hard time with how they depicted Stop her. Stockholm Syndrome can be in play. He definitely, yeah, I don't think it's a real stretch to say that he was abusive also, exactly. no, he's a dirtbag. And he um, knew it. I mean, when they were interviewing him, he was smiling like a guilty idiot. He's like, they they don't have any solid evidence against me. Ha ha ha. And it's like, no, they do, Jerry. Yeah. Sorry. Underage girl you've been forcing yourself on is going to testify against you. Yep. So I hope so, Missy is having a better life these days. Yeah. I felt bad that all of her friends that, that they interviewed kind of turned on her. I mean, I guess she laughed and hadn't talked to them. She's not totally innocent in the situation. She did participate in the crime, and whether or not she knew that Elmer was going to get killed, but... I mean, she did serve some time, right. and it, uh, that seems like a fair sentence to me. I, I don't know. So. Yeah, I... Th- my other comment about the reenactments for this one is the person they cast as Jerry looks absolutely nothing like no, him, nothing. and it's kind of confusing. Yes. Wait, that that's him? Why is he... I don't, he doesn't look anything like him. Yeah, he was kind of like tall and skinny and yeah. had blonde hair or something. Did the actor they hire not show up? And then they're like, Perhaps. this guy's just walking by. They're like, well, he'll have to do. I don't know. <laughs> we were filming today no matter what. But that's well, I mean, one. 20 people knew who he was, so. Yeah, it didn't matter. Because they really. showed that that dumb mugshot a couple of faces. You would not forget that face. You would not. Even if you just saw him at like... The convenience store, you'd be like, yeah, I, I know that guy. I've seen him, for sure. Also, he probably tried to, like, pinch your butt or something. <laughs> I'm guessing, even while he was on the run, he was just, like, a total creeper. And everybody so. was like, oh, yeah, him. We know. I know who that is. Well, good one, Liz. Mystery one solved. Good job on solved mysteries. Yep. So mystery two is a final appeal. And here's what happened. So on July 14th, 1979 in the Dallas suburb of Garland, Texas, a man robs a convenience store around 7 p.m. He drew a gun on the attendant named Doyle, who was closing up for the day. When Doyle was interviewed for the show, he said that the man shook the gun at him and threatened to kill him. So the entire robbery took 10 minutes, and the robber made away with about $400. That's the thing that really stuck with me in this, was that it's only $400. Only $400. Remember that. 
So Doyle said that what happened to him was traumatic and that he will never forget the face of the person who did it. So he identified his attacker as Michael Scott Martin, a 26-year-old welder. However, five other people, including three who hardly even knew Michael, swear that he was definitely not robbing a convenience store at 7 o'clock on July 14th. They claim that he was home all day, 70 miles away in Fort Worth, working on his motorcycle with his friend, George McFarlane, who says that they tinkered in the garage all day, except for maybe an hour around 2 p.m. when Michael ran to get parts. And George is certain that Michael wasn't robbing a bank that day, because at 7 p.m. on the 14th, he wanted to watch Battlestar Galactica. So he made sure that him and Mike stopped working so they could watch the show together. That's my favorite part of this I mystery. love George McFarlane. He, he is... Keeps it very real. All so of, real. All of the alibi witnesses in this case... Very credible. So believable. Right. Just seems like totally genuinely genuine people. Have and you the, ever listened to the podcast Undisclosed about the, the first season about Anan Syed? No. Or Serial. Both of those cases... I think, discuss witnesses and remembering a day. It can be hard to remember a specific day because things kind of blur together. But if you remember a specific event on a specific day, it kind of grounds your memory in something. And George was like, yeah, we watched Battlestar Galactica on the 14th at 7 p.m. I made sure to stop Mike (laughs) so that we could watch the show together. George is the best. George is the alibi that we all want. Yeah, airtight to me. And then it's backed up by a bunch of other people who had no reason to lie for this guy in the him. court of law. So they're pretty credible. And Michael, too, I think, seemed very credible when they interviewed him from jail. I believed him. He seemed for whatever really for. genuine. And I felt just watching his story, him talk about his story was kind of heartbreaking. So the case against Michael was based entirely on two eyewitnesses, Doyle and then a police investigator who claims to have seen Michael near the scene of the robbery. But there was no hard evidence, no fingerprints. The money was never found with Michael or anyone else, and the gun is still missing. But Michael was arrested nonetheless, tried, and convicted of armed robbery. The crazy thing is because of a previous arrest, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole until 1999, which is 20 years. Over $400. $400. And it was all because of this other crime, which this is what it was. So seven months before the gas station robbery, Michael was arrested after an incident in a supermarket in which him and his friend got drunk and ate a bunch of Polish sausage and potato chips. And the manager got upset and threatened to call the police, and Michael panicked and pulled a knife, which the reenactment for this. The reenactment is was so good. Totally worth watching. This guy, this actor is wearing wearing skin-tight jeans with a matching jean jacket. Yes. And he sort of crouches down and pulls this knife out and is like, You want some of this? You want some of this? And then the grocery store clerks are coming after him with brooms. <laughs> and so they're Way too dedicated to their job. If If you're you're chasing a guy over some Polish sausage, let him go. Call the police. Just let him go. He also offered to pay for it. He did. In the reenactment. They probably should have just let him pay for it. And then let him go. I realize people, being from Chicago, people are very serious about their Polish sausage. (laughs) That's true. So, I... It's a serious offense. It's a serious... But I I both get why he got drunk and wanted to eat it and why the grocery (laughs) store manager was so mad. I understand both sides. (laughs) I understand both sides. But it escalated. It escalated in a totally unnecessary way. It did. And I mean, so they did, they ran out into the parking lot and the grocery store manager chased them. And then Michael pulled a gun out and shot it into the air, sort of in the direction of the employees who were chasing them, which was not smart. Mike. 
No, it was not smart. And in his jailhouse interview, Michael really does sound remorseful for that incident. He said it was a stupid adolescent stunt and that he never should have done it. They interview the two detectives who make a big deal about this. And no doubt it was. You can't go around shooting at people. But they were like, well, you don't expect someone to get so outrageously angry when they're asked to pay for something. I'm like, these were two drunk kids, basically. Also, this prior bad act was allowed at the trial yeah, for the convenience so, store robbery. Yeah, so they admitted this previous conviction into the court record. Um, Seems extremely unfair to me. Yeah, Robert Stack said that it possibly prejudiced the jury. I say that it 100%. absolutely prejudiced the 100%. jury. 100%. Yeah, and the prosecutor for that case literally says that he doesn't think he could have gotten a guilty verdict on the second offense if the jury hadn't known about the first one. So... I kind of hate this jury because they were only out for 15 minutes. The prosecutor admits that it was pretty manipulating. He said that it had a great psychological influence on the jury, which is kind of sickening because that offense had no bearing on the second one. No, they're not similar. Getting drunk and eating some polar sausage. Getting into a fight with the convenience store clerk. It has like, nothing to do with a planned convenience store robbery. Right. There couldn't be more different in a way. And he was tried and convicted for that first offense. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous that they allowed this into evidence. It's but entirely unfair. They did and they pretty much think that's how he got convicted. And it's worth noting that the prosecutor I just mentioned basically doesn't think he's guilty anymore. No, in, in a way, it was nice of him to admit that maybe he's he was not wrong. guilty, but it's also like, well, it's a little too late. You prosecuted him and he's sitting in jail. Yep. So the fact that you're like, well, maybe he's not guilty. Maybe the jury- he got made, life in prison. Maybe the jury made a mistake. It's like, or maybe you shouldn't have prosecuted him. When there was so much doubt, there was no physical evidence. There's yeah, no physical evidence. Ridiculous. I think we all know that eyewitness evidence is- well, Pretty suspect. It's not as reliable as people think. Yeah, so here is the police's account of what happened. So they say that at... So he, the robber stole Doyle, the gas station attendant's car, and at 7.15, the police spotted the stolen car parked in front of an apartment where Michael used to live. He didn't live there anymore. He moved out a month previous. And then at 7.25, so 10 minutes after the, they saw the stolen car, another investigator, this is... Coincidentally, the same investigator who investigated the Polish sausage incident at all says that he saw Mike driving his blue Camaro three miles from the convenience store. They seem to point to this timeline as proof that he did it, but either everything in this town is so close together or he was really booking it. They say he robbed robbed the gas station at 7. At 7.15, he's back at an apartment where he no longer lives. And then at 7.25, he's in his car driving around again. Yeah, that's a really good And then... Why would he go to that apartment building? To hide the money or something? And then this investigator who saw him and had worked his previous criminal conviction asked to be assigned to this robbery... And he put a picture of Michael in the lineup that they gave to Doyle. And then, I mean, Doyle did pick out Michael, but clearly they already had Michael in mind for this crime. Seems like they had a vendetta against him. Yeah. So I don't trust that cop at all. All of the alibi witnesses came across really credible, much more credible than this cop who happens to be the person that would see. I don't know. And I think it was the prosecutor who said, I don't know why these five people, three of whom didn't even know Michael that well, would lie for him in under oath. Yeah. Good question. I mean, Doyle is super convinced that Michael was the person who robbed him, but it's not like he knew who Michael was previously. He was given Michael's picture and picked it out. So I don't find him as credible as the other witnesses. 
Yeah, and also we all like to think, oh, we have great memories. We right. we have a great memory for faces, and it's just not that true. Yeah. If they had found the gun or a finger, anything the to money. place him at the what scene, what did he do with the four hundred dollars? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty damn convinced that he was watching Battlestar Galactica with his friend. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And somehow got. Fingered for this crime he Which didn't do. Which is just do. a nightmare. I know. And he went all the way to the Supreme Court trying to appeal this conviction, and they were all denied. But the update is, he did get out of prison, so shortly after I think this aired, but he remains on parole for the rest of his life. And he's, it said he was determined to clear his name, but I'm assuming he never did, still hasn't. So it's really unfortunate that now he's a felon for life. Yeah, he can't vote, and that's going to hurt his chances of getting a job and yeah. whatever. And he was 26 when he went to jail for this. Also, so my parents came to visit this summer, and like a totally normal person, I made them watch. This a, episode? On this whole mystery with me, including this episode. And my dad's comment about Mike when they were showing his interviews while he's in jail is, why does the person with the best hair in this whole show, <laughs> why is he in jail? <laughs> and it's true. That he has he had, really good hair. He had a really good haircut. And all these people, Unsolved Mysteries has some dad. pretty bad haircuts. But, Seriously bad haircuts. But Mike looked pretty good and he was in jail. So that's hilarious. So that was my Also, mystery. should he be able to sentence people to such a long sentence over $400? That seems like uh, such I a mean, waste to me. Yeah, I mean, he it was armed robbery, I, I guess. But the, it took less than 10 minutes to rob that convenience store. He made away with $400. And now he's in jail, although we don't think he did it, for life. A life yeah. sentence. Based on the fact that he had a previous I, conviction. I'm not very so. happy with the way that turned out. Yeah. Uh, uh, in case you couldn't figure that out. our listeners From couldn't From all tell. of my moaning and... Gro- yeah. 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 So we feel uh. bad for Mike. But that was my mystery. Yeah. Are you ready to do one of our favorite oh, mysteries of all time? Five listeners, I hope you're sitting down. <laughs> this is this a good one. This is the reason that we're this, here. This is the reason this podcast exists. This is the reason this podcast exists. I am so excited to talk about this mystery I kind of haven't been talking about anything else <laughs> for months. This is what Samantha told me that I needed to watch. Me and my friend Megan watched it and it changed our lives. Is that, <laughs> is that, an, is that an exaggeration? No. I, I will say before we get into the jokes. Because we're going to make a lot of jokes. We're going to make a lot one. of jokes about this episode. We still have to be sensitive to the fact that a young man died. Yes, that's, that's exactly what I want to say. So Kurt McFall died. And that is a tragedy Absolutely. And I understand why his dad had trouble dealing with that. I don't have any yeah, children. Anyone would. But I can't imagine how horrible it would be to have your child die before you and the grief of that. Yeah. And the way ugh. he died wasn't. No. I mean, it's no one wants their child to die in any way. And you feel like you could have prevented. Oh, it's, it's awful. That said, there is no mystery here. And it's certainly. Doesn't involve Satanists, <laughs> which is the conclusion that, that the father comes to and that Unsolved Mysteries wants you to come to. I feel like I could talk about this for five podcasts. <laughs> There's just so much to say. But let's get into it. Let's get into it. This is, is an unexplained death for September 8th, 1984. Two men were bird watching in San Francisco when they discovered below them on the beach at the bottom of a cliff, the body of, as I said, Kurt McFall. These bird watchers discover his body. The dad, however, does not believe that this was an accident. After Kurt is found dead, he gets a call from someone telling him that his son was murdered. 
because he was involved in a satanic cult and they wouldn't let him out. Dude, whoever made that call, that is so insensitive. I think they interviewed him for the show, but like blacked out his face. Yeah, except that it he's was... wearing a Utah hat. <laughs> he's wearing this like distinctive baseball hat, despite the fact that his face is blocked out. Okay, that's just poor planning, I think he I was a friend or an, maybe an ex-friend of Kurt. It's because of this, I feel like it's because of this phone call that Kurt's dad, father starts, started yeah. suspecting Started suspecting, oh, amiss. there's something amiss, there's something more to my son's death. But what was the truth? Liz, was he in a satanic cult? No, he wasn't in a satanic cult. He was a nerd. <laughs> and he played Dungeons and Dragons. He and, played Dungeons and Dragons. And LARPed with his friends in the parking, in parking lot of a subway. lot in armor that he made himself. So they show a picture of Kurt, probably his like yearbook photo. And he's just like a blonde, normal looking white guy, right? And I think, I think to, to some degree... The father was like, he didn't have to be a nerd. He could have been, <laughs> been cool. a popular kid. He could have been cool. So that I, what me and my friend Megan ended up shouting at the TV while watching this episode constantly was, my son was cool! <laughs> because it seemed like he couldn't accept the fact that his son got into Dungeons and Dragons and LARPing. And he goes in his room and he finds these like terrible teenage boy drawings of like, Knights fighting and entrails falling out. And well, and they filmed this club that did this sword fighting, and I wrote down jousting. How do they pretend to joust in the subway parking lot? I'm not yeah, really sure. I don't think. But if they just filmed real. a bunch of kids in these costumes, they made themselves pretending to sword fight with wooden sticks in a parking lot. They were just it's, nerds. They were nerds. I mean, in his in his dad's defense, maybe he didn't realize what Dungeons and Dragons actually is. He seemed to think that it was super violent and ritualistic. <laughs> it's, it's just kids rolling a dice, guy. It's yeah. really, it's not scary. But we have to keep in mind that this is, and this is going to come up on Unsolved Mysteries a lot, the height of satanic panic. Yeah. Where people are convinced Satanists are, probably satanic. are behind everything. And that they're committing crimes and there's ritual orgies and bloodlettings and they're stealing babies and <laughs> all of the stuff that they're they're, they're really not, not doing. doing. That is always false. But if your parents ever warned you about Satanists when you were a kid, it's because of episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. Of Unsolved like Mysteries this. like this. I think part of the confusion is that as Kurt got more into Dungeons and Dragons and learning about jousting. It seems like he was a smart kid. He also got interested in just like medieval life. And in that, he starts going to this mysticism group. Yeah, with Karadak. How did you how do you pronounce the name he called himself? He, I don't. I'm not I think even, it's Karadak. I think it is. I don't I didn't write down his real name, just that he went by Karadak. <laughs> he went by Karadak. And he had an apartment with a cat and they like sat around and just were like, spiritual. It didn't seem They were acting like this is the satanic cult. It's a it's a it's a bunch of hippies that were, sitting in a circle meditating and chanting. It's it was not bad. There or, really is a cat wandering around. It's yeah, the cat climbs in some guy's lap and he like starts petting it while he's listening to Karatek talk. It was yeah. the most innocent thing I've ever seen. It's just, but I think it is also something indicative of this era that if you're interested in anything that's not Christianity. Mainstream. Equals Satanism. Right. So as part of his medieval studies research, he gets interested 
in paganism or uh, just I sitting around chanting. It was not clear to it me what this guy did what it in was his apartment. Because they were acting like it was Satanism and it clearly was not. But I feel like the kid who called the dad and is saying, look, you don't even really know your son. He was involved in this satanic cult. Like there's people that are worried about you going to yoga, right? Like <laughs> right. That that's Satanism, that that's going to like let demons into your life. So probably this person that made this phone call genuinely believed. I did think he was genuinely worried about his friend. Yeah. I mean, I find it extremely irritating that he would call this grieving father and say, your son was really murdered because he was in a satanic cult yeah. and they wouldn't let him. Like he starts saying. Throwing he, around these accusations. He wanted to get out and they wouldn't let him. And maybe he discovered. But that's 100% spe- speculation. All they really knew is that he basically went to a meditation group. What I don't really understand is why he stayed at Karadik's apartment, but he he goes into San Francisco to spend the night with his friend. He can't sleep. So in the reenactment, they show him at like three in the morning. Knocking on Karadik's door. Banging on his door and then saying like, I'm going for a swim. It's too hot in this apartment is what he said. And maybe it was. Maybe it was, but let your friend sleep. (laughs) Just go. Fucking rude. You don't have to wake him up. (laughs) Like... Leave a no. I whatever. That's just a reenactment. Who knows what really happened? So they find his car. The car has the keys still in it. it has twenty dollars in it, which, which they thought pointed to something nefarious. Yeah, I don't. It didn't. It to didn't. Me. Someone didn't steal his twenty dollars. Is I, that really that suspicious? I don't. His know. armor was missing. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what that meant either. Could he have left it somewhere else? How do they know it was supposed to be in the car? I don't know. And that there was beer cans around. And Which that- his father was very suspicious of because he said his son never drank. I doesn't every single parent think that about their child? Yeah, I don't think your son was telling you about his drinking. So. I mean, it doesn't sound like you were very approving of some of his hobbies, such as Dungeons and Dragons. So he probably wasn't that forthcoming with yeah, he something probably... that he knew you also wouldn't approve of, like drinking. Like drinking. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Which is every teenager ever in history of teenagers. It seems like, I mean, 17 is also right at this age where probably the dad felt like he knew his son and they were sort of drifting apart as he became more of an adult and he pursued his own interests. And the father hadn't really like quite caught up to the fact that his son was growing up and he was going to have to let go a little bit. Yeah. So I don't really see anything nefarious in the fact that he was drinking? <laughs> a teenager had some beer cans by his car. However, the fact that he left the apartment at three in the morning and his car was found surrounded by beer cans and he was at the bottom of a cliff. He was at the bottom of a cliff. Might point to what actually happened. Yeah. Now, although they said that they didn't find any evidence of alcohol in his system when they did the autopsy. Does that the, raise a fl- red flag for that's you? That's the only thing even slightly mysterious in this case. That doesn't actually prove anything. Just because they didn't find alcohol, does that mean he really didn't drink anything or they just didn't happen to find it? I don't know. Well, here is the other thing I thought of. It seemed like they were going to this Karadik's house with a bunch of other people. Was he alone out on that cliff or was he out there drinking with some of his friends? And maybe he wasn't drinking. Maybe his dad was right. Maybe he really didn't. But his friends were and they were doing stupid things you do on a cliff at three in the morning when you're a teenager. And then he and fell. And he fell. And I mean, maybe that's possible that there's a witness to him falling who doesn't want to come forward because no. they feel guilty. I suppose that's a possibility. I mean, we're wildly speculating here because oh, none of this yes. was in the show and there was really no evidence to suggest any of this. Because, because the show wants you to think that it's Satanists. Like it could potentially be Satanists. Um, I, I, the other thing I thought was, what if those were just there before? 
How do right. we know those are connected? Why are we just garbage? Yeah, it sounded People like... People litter. That's not... It was probably a part of the beach where kids go to hang out at night and yeah. drink, and they probably don't clean up their beer cans. So I don't... Is that even really evidence? I'm not I sure. I don't think it's evidence that he was murdered, which no. they seem to be suggesting There's in the show. There's actually zero evidence that he was murdered. The Coast Guard who recovered oh. his body... Oh, what? Can I just say something about the lifeguard who looks like he stepped out of Baywatch? I wrote down most cliche... <laughs> Lifeguard ever. He had like bleach blonde hair. Yes. I think his name was like Vince or something. It didn't show how low his neckline on his <laughs> red lifeguard uniform went down, but it was plunging. His face was so like ruddy and pink and his <laughs> hair was like so blonde, sun bleach blonde. It was like the cover of a Sweet Valley High novel, if that makes sense. If that could like be a person. <laughs> this was this guy. That was this guy where it's like, well, of course you're a lifeguard. I took a screenshot. Absolutely no other job. No one would let you do any other job. I will put his picture on Instagram. Except follow me. us on Instagram if you don't, because we posted a lot of screenshots. Especially, um, there's going to be a lot from this episode. Just get ready. This, I mean, this episode is amazing. Yeah, the 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 Coast Guard and this lifeguard that recovered his body said that there's no evidence of anything other than that he fell off this cliff. Yeah. The dad was like, he's an experienced rock climber. Yeah, he's a great a swimmer. Like that means he can't fall off a cliff. Climbers fall water? off cliffs, even the best rock Especially climbers. if you're just like fucking off with your friends on some cliffs at three in the morning. Yeah. You could slip and fall. Like it seems, like I said in the last episode, the simplest answer is usually right answer. Yeah. He just fell off these cliffs. I know. Because he was being a dumb kid is what yeah, I think. I think so. And it's really tragic. It's a tragic story that is treated in literally the most ridiculous way. Well, and can I just say, this karatic guy, as much as we like to make fun of him, he was the most level-headed. And he seemed extremely understanding of the fact that even though he was being accused of murder by this guy's dad... He took it very reasonably. He said, I understand why his father would want to blame someone. I understand he has a lot of pain. It's just misplaced because why would I kill someone who is staying in my apartment whose father knew he was staying <laughs> in my apartment? I mean, nerds give very clear-cut, reasonable answers. <laughs> this was. And, yeah, and maybe his, you know, mystic pagan religion helped him come to the terms with the fact that he was literally being accused of murder and he seemed to be like, no, this, Super forgiving this and father is grieving and I, he's misplaced those emotions, yeah. which I, I think that is the truth of this case. I, it, I think it didn't help the father that the coroner ruled it unknown. Yeah. Not accident. Like, the coroner left it open to the possibility that it was something else. And it kind of... According to the father, the coroner suggested to him that he thought it was murder and he just didn't have evidence. But if there's Or was no, that the coroner? Someone told yeah. him, I think it might be murder, but I don't have any evidence to suggest that. Why would you say that to... The father. I mean... I guess the coroner wants to leave it open to the possibility if they found evidence later that he was pushed off the cliff. Right. You could still use the coroner's report, but yeah. there's nothing to suggest anything other than... He just slipped and fell. He slipped and fell. It's really sad. But it's he- really sad, and I, I wish that, that his dad could come to terms with the fact that he he accidentally died and also that his son was a nerd. Yeah. And that that's okay. Speaking as two nerds, being a nerd is okay. It's okay. Like, this is a sad story as much as we like to it's laugh about it. It's a sad story presented in the a most kind of ridiculous hilarious way. manner where it's like, was it... They do these close-ups of the people LARPing in their <laughs> night outfits as if that's Trying to make them look sinister. You're just like, oh, honey, like you want to bring them some orange slices because they're probably <laughs> getting a little dehydrated. Like... <laughs> 
Because they're way too into their swordplay. Yeah. Yeah. Power to them. Enjoy your LARPing wherever you are. Yeah. I assume they're still at it all these years. Oh, probably. All these years later. For sure. Well, I love that one. That's the reason that we're here, folks. If you haven't watched the second episode, we highly recommend this one. uh, Be sure to check out on Amazon. Episode two. Episode two. Of season one. Maybe your parents are visiting and you'll make them watch it. (laughs) Maybe you'll make all your friends watch it. That's what I did. On a girls' night like we did. Also true. I something we did. I've seen this episode like four or five times now. Yeah, I love this one. Although the next mystery, get ready to be bummed out. Uh, Which isn't a mystery. I have no, to say, I have written but... down, this is both solved and unmysterious. <laughs> it's just really depressing. <laughs> yeah. So. Here, lost loves. Here we go. This is the lost loves, which are usually depressing, but have a happy ending. In general, that's the theme of lost loves. This one doesn't have a very happy ending, so just get ready. This is a little something for the ladies. Lost yeah. love mysteries. <laughs> oh, Dry your eyes it, with a hanky. God, yeah. So here's this one. During World War II, the military had this service called V-Mail, which was the only link between soldiers and their families. And I did some extra research because they didn't really talk a lot about what V-Mail oh, was in this website, and I'm not a history buff. Okay, by research, I mean I Googled it for five minutes. That's what everybody means by research, Samantha. <laughs> that's true. That's all, that's all research is these days. So according to Wikipedia, V-mail correspondence was... So it was the system by which they... Basically, if they had to mail everyone's letters as letters, it would take up so much space. So they devised this thing where mail censors would read the letters and like censor out things that they didn't like. I guess that's what the military does. And then... <laughs> And then before being photographed and transported as thumbnail-sized images in negative microfilm. So they they looked through it. They censored oh. things they didn't like. They photographed the letters and then printed them on microfilm. And then upon arrival to their destination, the negatives were printed. And the final print was oh. 60% of the original document size, creating a sheet that's 10.7 centimeters by 13.2 centimeters. I had no idea. That's very interesting, actually. Yeah, so the National Postal Museum said that V-Mail ensured that thousands of tons of shipping space could be reserved for war materials. The 37 mailbags required to carry... 150,000 one-page letters could be replaced by a single mail sack. So the same amount of mail was reduced dramatically from 2,575 pounds to a mere 45 inches. I wonder if Unsolved Mysteries... I don't know mysteries... how we went from pounds to inches in this article, <laughs> but you get you know, the idea. Whatever. Basically, it saved a ton of space. I'm, I wonder if Unsolved Mysteries didn't tell us that because they assumed everybody knows. Just knew it? Yeah, so you can also go to the Smithsonian's National Postal Museum and see, they have some really good... We have a National Postal Museum? We do, the Smithsonian does. So, yeah, if you go to their website, they have like a whole website. It's like an online exhibit about V-Mail and it shows the postal worker side, obviously, not really the military, like the soldiers. Uh But they have like a flip book you can go through and see pictures of like how many people, like warehouses of people just sitting at desks looking through these letters. It was incredible. And it's amazing to think, you know, how it how you had to communicate back then before, you know, you could just Skype someone. Before you could listen to an amazing podcast right. wherever you were. You had to write your letter and then give it to the military. They censored and it. they said, reprinted no, it. quit telling people where the troops are. Right. We gotta edit that part out. Yeah, exactly. So here's where this particular mystery comes in. Well, not mystery. It so. not a mystery. On February 4th, 1986, Mike Minguez, 
a pest exterminator was spraying the attic of an elderly woman's house in Raleigh, North Carolina, when he spotted a pile of letters spilling out of a military duffel bag. Turns out they were hundreds of unopened V-mail letters written by soldiers in World War II. He had never seen V-mail before, but he knew that anything with a V on it was World War II vintage. So he went and talked to the woman who owned the house because he just knew something was up with this. And she said that she had had a nephew who was a crew member aboard the SS Caleb Strong when it was bound for North Africa in May 1944. But when he came back from the war, he brought 235 letters home with him in the bag. And apparently the stupid nephew of hers intended to mail them (laughs) when he returned, but he forgot. And then he died in 1980. And she was so embarrassed to admit that she had all these letters that were supposed to go to families of soldiers that she just never said anything, which is really sad. But Mike promised that he would never reveal her name if she released them to him, so she did. This is a very dedicated exterminator. I know. This guy was is a hero. Also a hero. So he brought the letters to Meg Harris of the U.S. Postal Service. And they worked together with the Postal Service to get this figured out. And they discovered that 92 GIs aboard the Caleb Strong had written letters to over 150 friends and family. Um, and the Postal Service was able to deliver the letters from 89 of the soldiers. They had three that they couldn't they couldn't find. And Meg was just super nice. She was like, this has really warmed my heart. It's made me realize how much people care about each other, even when long periods of time pass. Because it was so like 42 sweet. years after the war that they discovered these letters and they made people's day by delivering them these letters from their lost family members. Absolutely. And this woman seemed super fucking dedicated to... She was. Getting everybody these letters. Postal workers are unsung heroes in our society. It's true. And this episode really proved it. I apologize for being surprised there was a postal museum. (laughs) They deserve a museum. They do. So there's not much more to this, so I'm going to read you one of these depressing fucking letters. Are you ready? Yes. So this is from Frank Rapley, who wrote a letter to his wife, Meryl Rapley. And he says, still at sea, May 1944, my precious wife, darling, I sure miss you. I wish I were back with you right now. It seems so hard to write to you as all I can think of is how much I love you and long to be with you. The boat is rocking, so I can't write too neatly. Meryl, darling, I love you. And I hope that we are soon to be together for good. From what information we can gather, I believe that the invasion is on, so I'll be stuck overseas until the war is over. I love you, my darling, your husband, Frank. And Frank was a B-17 gunner, and his plane was shot down over Austria in 1944. And Meryl never remarried. She loved Frank so much that she said no one could take his place. And so sweet. They were only married for two, two years. Two years. And 40 years later, she had never remarried. No one could take his place. Yeah, it was. But she said, which really brought me out of a bad place when I read her letter, (laughs) that she was shocked to receive this letter. And even though she had gotten other letters from him, that this one was the most special because it felt like they were together again. Like he was talking to her after 42 years. So, so yeah. thank you to the Postal Service. I can't believe it. And in the update, they were able to deliver two of the additional letters. So, so there was only one. one soldier that remained. That's they delivered the one almost mystery, all of these. I guess. Yeah. What happens to that last letter? Right. I guess technically that makes it a mystery still. But yeah. No, it's it's not mysterious. It's an interesting story, though. It is. Um, why do you think the nephew didn't deliver those letters and they were just sitting in that attic? Maybe because he was a shithead. I have no clue. <laughs> 
I mean, he truly did forget. And did he forget? Maybe he was like. It was one of those things where it's so much time. Traumatized by the war and he didn't do it right yeah, away. Yeah, we probably shouldn't accuse him of anything. And it's possible that no, so maybe much. maybe he's just. May, okay, there's options. Maybe he flat out sucked. <laughs> maybe he hated everyone on that boat and he was like, no it's way is your family getting those letters. It's also why he had them and why they just didn't send them in the normal channels. Yeah, it seemed like, based true. on looking at the Smithsonian's online exhibit, that they had like, he was a like, huge no, no, I'll system. do it. It's like, why? I don't understand that why is... it was up to him to even deliver these, maybe so we maybe shouldn't blame mystery. him. Maybe that's why did he have them at all? Well, and you know, sometimes I think people can forget about things, and then so much time has passed when you finally remember that you're, you're like, like, how? what do I do now? And maybe I he didn't really know. I admit that I haven't done this in all this time. Well, and it took the Postal Service to, like, work hard on this to get them delivered. Maybe he didn't know where to start. Kind of a, a bummer note, but... Also, There's, it was a, it was kind of sweet. Meryl was really sweet. Yeah, Meryl was really sweet. It's they read another letter of a woman who was super happy to get a letter from her husband, too. So, you know, it brought these people some happiness after so many years. It's a big contrast to the other mysteries in this yeah, episode. Definitely. You're like... You're flying high, and then you get to this one, and you're like, oh. Like, oh, man, that was... Um, well, should we rate the episode? Yes, please. All right, so again, we have four categories that we give a thumbs up, thumbs sideways, or thumbs down, and then we rate the episode as a whole. So the first category is mysteriousness. I'm giving that a thumbs down. Yeah, I it's have to agree with not you. not that mysterious. We have a case, I guess at one point was mysterious, the wanted case, but Unsolved Mysteries solved that, and you get the update right away. It wasn't that mysterious, though, because we, they knew who did they it. They knew who did it. They just didn't know where he was, and then they found him within seven hours. Yep. Uh, we have that. We, we have, have Michael, who Mike. definitely didn't commit this robbery. We have Mike in jail. Not that mysterious. I guess it wasn't that mysterious to begin justice, with. but it's, yeah, not that mysterious. We have Kurt, not being involved with Satanists, who fell to his death, but that's not, not mysterious. mysterious. And this one was never that much of a no, mystery. No, it was just this one's letters. So we give it a, <laughs> we give it a thumbs down for mysterious. mysterious. I mean, yeah, that's not a sign of qual- it's bad quality. No, it it's really, just, as we'll see when we rate the episode, it does not affect no, our enjoyment no, of just, it. But for mysterious, no, thumbs down for me. Um, the second category is reenactments. What did you think of the reenactments? I loved them. I find the ones for the first case confusing because that guy does not look a thing like Jerry. However. They were so good, though. However, the the shot where the car is behind the bus, hilarious. Yep. It, but none of that none of that matters because of the LARPing. And <laughs> or the supermarket scene. Or the, the Polish supermarket sausage scenes incident. about the supermarkets where the, that the guy so comes after them with brooms. Ah, yeah. That's something. I'm a thumbs up for reenactments. I mean... This is one of those categories. Have you ever played Apples to Apples? When it's your turn to judge, you have to decide if you judge on how funny you find it or how realistic yes. it is. That's kind of how this category is. Like, do we give it a thumbs up because they were so bad we loved them? Or do we give it a thumbs down because they were so bad? No, I think that's thumbs up. I'm giving it a thumbs up because I loved them. So I mean, this is the episode that I would be like, you absolutely have to watch. And it's because of hilarious LARPing shots. Yeah, not really the letters. But, uh... <laughs> well, our next category is hair, mustaches, and accessories. And I'm kind... I think I'm a thumb sideways on this. Although there were a few good ones, that reenactment of Mike in the supermarket, that guy had a great <laughs> gene denim ensemble, yeah. which I really liked, yeah. and a mullet, which really... Tied the whole look together. There were some good mullets in this episode. But um, nothing else really stands out to me. I mean, yeah. I was looking the lifeguard for... is the closest. Oh, God, I forgot about the lifeguard. 
Herotics outfit where he he looks he like he missed a button. Did you yeah, notice that? He, he looks like someone in a like sketch. Yeah, he, playing himself or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's it almost hard comical. to take him seriously with his glasses and yeah, Miss Button's plaid shirt. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think sideways. If you want to know what the most average teenage girl looked like in the 80s, seeing Missy's friends with their perms <laughs> and, and blue they eyeshadow. Had, yeah. It's not as neon as everyone thinks. It's not as like, that's just how people looked when we were kids. Yeah. So it's a, that has a nice time capsule quality to it. It does. But I'm still thinking. Like, am I at a Sears in 1989? Because... <laughs> <laughs> That's what this episode makes me think of. The Sears Portrait Studio. Thumb sideways for me, though. All right, our last category is Robert Stack's outfits. And I have to say, Didn't, none of them stood out to me. I, I was going to say the exact same he thing. He has a sweet cold weather ensemble at the very beginning. <laughs> sweet with his, cold weather ensemble. His scarf was pretty sharp, but... Oh, yeah. And I know he brought back the khaki trench coat, but... No, they're unremarkable, I'd say. Yeah. There I were were there any it, turtlenecks? No turtlenecks. Oh, Does that well. mean it gets a thumbs down? If it was average and there were no turtlenecks? I mean, I, can, I can't I can even remember what he wore, so that might be a thumbs I'm down a thumbs down on for that. me. But let's rate the episode as a whole. I think everyone listening already knows what we're going to give it. Five out of five Robert Stacks. I, if I could give it more Robert Stacks, I would. Well, we're making... This is entirely made up by us, so we can do whatever we want. <laughs> Ten million Robert Stacks. I mean, at this, this episode... You gotta see it. I, I yeah, I think I've watched it four or five times. And of course, I'm insane. But you could watch it one time, and you would like, <laughs> and it. and you would like it and find it highly enjoyable television. It has it has a little of everything. It's like a it's a smorgasbord. It's, it's exactly Did I pronounce what, that right. I, you know what I mean. That's exactly what I was gonna say. You get a little little nom, <laughs> <laughs> a little of each, a little taste of each. Yeah. A little injustice, a little Satanism, a little love Tragedy. story, a little, yeah. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to make you cry. Yeah. It's got exactly. everything. It's got everything. Make your parents watch it when they come to your house. <laughs> make your parents listen to this podcast. <laughs> yes. If you do done. that, you're please, our favorite. <laughs> please get in touch with us and let us know how that went. Have your parents subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Yeah, if your mom used to have a crush on Robert Stack, oh yeah, I want to hear from your mom because <laughs> uh, on Twitter I found this picture of Robert Stack playing <laughs> tennis shirtless. It, it's disturbing, but in the best way. <laughs> in the best way. Yeah, if you, that's something to get in touch with us about. You can email us at perhapsitsyoupodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at perhapsitsyou, Y-O-U, on all those platforms. Thanks for listening. Oh, wait, Samantha. There's another surprise. <laughs> we, are we going to have a surprise every episode? <laughs> I don't know. I am not responsible for this surpri- surprise. Mac, my husband, is responsible. What? He found something for us at the Goodwill. What? <laughs> this is a, a massive book that says the Mammoth Encyclopedia of the Unsolved. Past and present, including Atlantis, Bigfoot, Crystal Skulls, Jack the Ripper, Loch Ness Monster, Poltergeist, and Zombies. Zombies? <laughs> oh I, my, didn't, I didn't know that was oh unsolved. Oh my god. This is, so wow, this and is it's a really small print. This, this is, is an incredibly amazing. cheesy book that was clearly trying to capitalize on Unsolved Mysteries' success. It is not actually associated in Unsolved Mysteries in any way. Homer and the Fall of Troy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just flipping through this that's book. That's a great mystery. There's a Bigfoot oh. on the cover walking towards, like, a flaming globe? No, it's a flaming... This looks like John Lennon. Oh! <laughs> oh! And it was like, his head is like... 
engulfed in blue flame. And then I don't think it's actually John Lennon. And then but there's it, like a fake Robert Stacky guy at the bottom with his face away from you. And the flames coming out of his head. Yeah, I don't this know. Is I don't know. The best Goodwill but find. He, he found that at the Goodwill and, and decided, rightly so, that we needed it. So perhaps we can peruse a little, and if anything relates to an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. We we'll, could we'll share. Read, read a section. Fairies. I just opened to page 16. and <laughs> I didn't realize that was unsolved. Are the, quote, little people just a fairy tale? Yes. Solved. That's the headline. Solved. <laughs> I solved that mystery. Thank you, Mac. <laughs> Who? Thank you also to Mac for helping us set up the sound equipment. We bought a bunch of stuff on Amazon based <laughs> off of, you know. Yeah, if you rated. Based off of no information whatsoever, we just <laughs> guessed. If you've rated sound equipment on Amazon, thank you. I probably read your review. So We spent a lot of time reading Amazon <laughs> reviews and based on that decided what to buy. Yeah, so And Mac helped us, helped us set it up. Set and it up and I think it's working um yeah yeah hopefully we hopefully it recorded this whole episode oh my god that'd be terrible <laughs> yeah get in touch with us if you have get in touch with us no matter what we no really enjoyed what. hearing from people who it listen was to super our fun. last episode it made our week go by really fast and was very enjoyable um that's a wrap thanks, for our everyone. second episode bye bye